Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Cold open today. Hello, we've got a live show for you this week. This one recorded in Atlanta a long, long time ago. Not just like a long time ago because everything seems like a long time ago, but actually like a pretty long time ago. This was back in January, so like almost five months. Basically, um, we realized that we have a bunch of live shows sitting around that we had been saving for when we were going to be traveling which didn't happen. So instead, we just were sitting on them. So we wanted to let them into the world. And if I remember correctly, this one was really fun. But who can remember that far into the past? So I, I don't actually know. I just, I just seem to remember it being a good one. So let us listen together to Dear Hank and John at Georgia Tech. Welcome to Dear John and Hank. It's Dear Hank and John. Dear Hank and John, it's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Hank. Do you know that they have one of the largest stadiums in the world here in Atlanta, Georgia? Uh, and it's one of the most, is the, the most recently opened uh, NFL stadium in all of America. Okay. But when they first, when they first played their first game there, after the game ended, they had a huge problem with the stadium overheating because all the fans left. You know, on, this, please, on the please. scale of how they've gone on tour, that was maybe not my best work. Please don't encourage him. I don't think they were. I think about 30 of them were. And the rest of them were like, oh, I see what John is annoyed by. Um, Hank, I wanted to, uh, before we start... Write an email? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, we were just watching a music video backstage. I was trying to explain something, and uh, but that's unrelated to this. I wanted, before we start, I just want to say um, a quick word of thanks. Thank you to everybody for being here tonight. Uh, I know lots of you have followed our work for a long, long time, um, and whether this is the first thing that you've ever been to, and you're like, uh, I don't understand why there's a Minotaur. No one does. We just met Steve. He's really cool. He also gave me his jacket just now. I'm not... <laughs> 
how how dead is the Hank is not Steve horse? And can we keep beating it? Um, so if you're new, thank you. If you've been here, if you've been with us for a long time, uh, thank you. Um, and we're very, yeah, we're just very, very grateful. And with that out of the way, we're going to answer some, but not all of the questions that you submitted to us. Not because the questions weren't great. There were too many good questions. We say that in every city, but we're usually lying. In this case, we are telling the truth. But we're going to answer as many as we can. Hank, this first question comes from Cade. Cade writes, Dear John and Hank, how do I make my mother feel appreciated? My mom is the kind of woman who hates clutter and isn't super into material goods, so giving her good gifts is really hard. And consumerism has taught me that that's how I show appreciation. She's here with me today, Cade. Well, that, that probably did some work for you. I hope. Well, except at no point in this e email did Cade say, like, my mom is great. I he appreciate... She doesn't like clutter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I want to know isn't so much that I am appreciated. It's that I want to know that people want me to feel appreciated. Yeah. And that is what Cade has said, which That's is true. Great. That's true. Um, I'll also help clean up around the house. <laughs> I have a th I have a three year old, and every time he picks something up and puts it where it's supposed to go, I'm just like, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, for How sure, do I for sure. That behavior, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Look, I think the way we make people feel appreciated is by telling them that we appreciate mm -hmm. them and and what we appreciate about them. But also, when it comes to gift giving, like you don't have to only give. Uh, goods, you know, mm -hmm. like there's a whole like you can give experiences. Like maybe you bought your mom's ticket to this show tonight, and at that point she's probably like, "Oh, that's not the best thirty-seven dollars I've ever come across." <laughs> but you were trying, Cade, and it's the thought that counts. I I I feel like in my own life, like the best gifts that I've ever been given, with one notable exception, were experience-based or were like service-based. You know, like mm -hmm. that's what. It's all about, I think. So, yeah, we don't always need to increase the number of items in the world, except when it's posters and or enamel pins, in which case we do. <laughs> this next question comes from Brian, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have been told that I must be either slippery for the rest of my life or sticky for the rest of my life. Which should I choose, Brian? I'm so sorry about this. Yeah. That's terrible news. Uh, I, know, I, I know this is rough. Yeah, I hate it when, an, when a hypothetical situation becomes real. That's very always real. difficult. Now it's so very real and now. And so first off, yeah, our thoughts are with you, and we hope that <laughs> whether you end up choosing, you know, sticky, sticky or slippery, or slippery mm -hmm. that you feel like that was the right choice for you. I think I'd go with slippery. Yeah. I oh, mean, we've got some slippery folks in the audience. Um, the problem with being sticky for the rest of your life is that, like, it, it's going to, every time it creates a problem, it's going to be a big problem. You know, like, <laughs> you thoughtlessly reach for the macaroni, mm -hmm. and now you've, now you've got a, a, a hand pot. Yeah. That's per it's permanent now. I guess it's more of a pot hand yeah. now that I've been able to think about my nouns. Uh, yeah, I think clothes are really hard when you're sticky. I also think that, like, when you're sticky, 
I mean, it's true. Like, things are going to stick to you either way to some extent. Like, when you're slippery and you get some dust, it still gets on you and stays, I feel like. But I, th- I feel like it's easier to wash if you're slippery. Slippery almost seems like a protection against the world. Like, just a little bit, a little bit of mucus to, 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 like, stand between you and all of the pathogens that the world has to present to you. Uh, you'd be better at football, probably. Slip right out of their hands. Uh, as long as you're not wearing pads or Brian. clothes. How does football work? <laughs> naked. Yeah. As long naked, as you're playing. Naked, naked be, Brian breaks st- another tackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they no, just no. can't catch him until he puts pants on. <laughs> he's got a $12 then, million dollar contract. <laughs> yeah, but he has to be naked the whole time. There's no rule against being naked. There definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> Now, but now you know. But now that you've been talking about it, Hank, it occurs to me that, like, even without this hypothetical situation, I might want to be more slippery. Just a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be so slippery that I can't walk around or anything. But like, I, I wouldn't. I would not. Yeah, I wouldn't mind being a like. If I were to propose a, a, a kind of update to humanity, it wouldn't be my first one, um, <laughs> but it would be somewhere on the list. Just a little bit of, just a little slick. This next question comes from Allison, who writes, Dear John and Hank, at Georgia Tech, one of the most in-demand classes is ID2202, History of Modern Industrial Design, or as we like to call it, the History of Chairs. People like chairs. I think they like the class. Oh. Or perhaps they like the Georgia Tech golden jackets. It was a guy. It was a joke. Okay, I wouldn't have got. I wouldn't have gotten that close if I didn't know. Right? I would have guessed the Jaguars or something. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 no! I did not mean to create a rivalry. We like. We Never like. Mention the sports teams, we like, John. We like bulldogs and tigers and crimson tides and whatever else needs to be liked to get out of here safely. You've cost yourself. Much more trouble I know. than you needed to. I know, I know. And what is the question? I can't remember the so, question. Now there's so many people who feel left out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. We're deep. We're deep in a hole now. What are, John, oh, tell God. me about your favorite chairs. What's your favorite chair? <laughs> this one's great. I like this one. Yeah, this one. Just hold it up in between us and them. <laughs> yeah. Safety chair. No, I mean, my all-time favorite chair is probably the one that The Undertaker uh, used in uh, <laughs> WrestleMania 12 to take out. I got to think of a second wrestler name. <laughs> and, and that one. <laughs> um, no, my, uh, my, so my favorite chair in the world, I do have a favorite chair. John's actually, John and Sarah are pretty into chairs. My favorite chair is the Eames Lounger. I think That's it's like good. the perfect chair. It, see, it seems like Correct. you should, yeah. <laughs> It seems like you would have a, a more uh, like sort of uh, like off the wall one. I've, I've sat in a lot of fancier chairs than the Eames lounger, and and I just don't like them as much. Yeah. I, it's comfortable. It's the right like. Size yeah, some for things me. are popular because they're the best things. Right, like yeah. McDonald's. Mm. Like BTS. We got a. Some, and what, nope, that what didn't kind, work either. That didn't work. Let's keep trying. What kind of things do you guys like? Hank and I, Hank and I were just backstage. <laughs> Hank and I were just backstage saying that when um, when we have a joke that bombs, our 
our instinct is to go harder on it. Yeah, our instinct is like, why don't we tell the joke again? <laughs> and we're, we're not doing that. No. We're, we're pulling out and we're going to answer this question from Kayla, who writes, Dear John and Hank, as a former Floridian, how the heck do you get used to winters? I obviously... Are you in Georgia? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. You moved 400 miles north of central Florida. <laughs> to Georgia? No. Okay. But I still find myself struggling with the mindset of, it's so cold outside. <laughs> okay. I mean, I would have a lot more sympathy for this question if I hadn't spent, like, a large swath of my life in Birmingham, Alabama, which has a very similar climate to Atlanta and is not cold. <laughs> Cold is when, if you stay outside too long, you will die. That That's is, the definition of yeah. cold. So the best way to fix this is to come live in Montana for a couple of years. You'll move back to Georgia, and you'll wear tank tops all on your top and bottom. Uh, you'll be wearing tank bottoms. Or, I don't know exactly how... shorts, as, <laughs> as they're known. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Great, I think we should move on. <laughs> Just go lay in some snow and realize what cold really is. All right. I want to do a question. You keep doing them. No, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to save you. Uh, well, yeah. we, we do need to be rescued. This next question comes from Emily, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, I named my Twitter account after a YouTuber's butt, and it has become actually quite popular." It's been replied to by Tyler Oakley and Lin-Manuel Miranda. It has become part of my identity, and I do not know how to escape this branding. <laughs> Raise your hand a... if you've had a bad screen name, right? Like, that's everybody. Oh, everybody. I mean, everybody's screen name at some point has made them absolutely cringe, but then you kind of get stuck with it. In a way, we got lucky with Vlogbrothers because it's bad, but it's not yeah. like as bad as most of my 2007 screen oh, names. Yeah. I actually thought about it. I was like, this is great. Wasn't, but I thought, but it was... Way it was, better than it might have been. Right, Julia Nunes was a big, big uh, early on in YouTube scene. Still uh, a very popular musician. And hers was J followed by seven A's. You had to remember the number of A's if you wanted to go to Julia's YouTube channel. It's not, however, as much of a problem, I would argue, as Phil's thick butt. Is that what the... Yeah. No, it's sorry, John. It's Phil's thick booty. Oh, thank you. Two C's if you'd like to follow it on Twitter. But, but don't. We're trying to solve Emily's problem, not make it worse. <laughs> oh, God. I think that at some point you do have to say, like, listen, my, my, this Twitter account is, is popular in part because of its screen name, but its screen name is changing. And then you just make... Can the, you do that? Yeah, you can change your screen name on Twitter. Okay. Good. You, I knew that you can, but you're John Green. No, anybody can. You just have to change it to something that's, that exists. Ah, I see. That is available. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think you just, I think you just make you, the you change. You actually make the change. And, and you just dance thick booty <laughs> instead. Yeah. yeah, just make it about a different YouTuber. No, move <laughs> on. Move on from the booty It can booty still be a, it can still be a a Phil Stan account. I don't think that, I, I, I think that you're going in the wrong direction. I think it should be like Emily 
last name. <laughs> it could, it, well, okay. Or even like um, Emily uh, in the city. I, I don't know. Good. Great, it, John. Here's the thing, Emily. What you really want it to be is boring. Mm. <laughs> like, you want it to be, oh, that's Emily. I like Emily. She's nice. Or you could lean in. No. You can have a separate Twitter account that's Emily in the city, but also don't abandon Phil's thick booty. Next question. This is your choice. <laughs> this is your Twitter account. It's your life. Go John's route. Go mine. We've presented you with your options. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. Don't ever follow our advice, obviously. <laughs> Amanda writes, Dear John and Hank, how many times did your books get rejected by publishers, and what advice do you have for aspiring authors? I'll start. So my book was never technically um, rejected, but only because it wasn't widely submitted. It was. This is not an uncommon thing now. Um, I spent like three or four years rewriting Looking for Alaska, my first novel, with my mentor, Eileen Cooper. And I, I, I think if you can find a writing mentor, it's just an, they're incredibly wonderful people to have in your life because they can serve the roles that you know, agents and, and, and editors serve in those initial rounds of kind of rejection and getting feedback. Because a lot of times getting re a rejection isn't as simple as like, we won't publish this. It's more like, we won't publish this, but here are some things that we thought were interesting about it. Or we won't publish this because we felt like this wasn't working. And you can use that feedback if you agree with it to, to revise. But I did a lot of that process with Eileen over the three or four years that we were working on it together. And then she kind of like showed it around to a bunch of people, um, to a bunch of editors in, in, uh, at publishing houses, a couple of whom uh, liked it. And so there was no formal process. There were a lot of people who didn't like it. I just never heard about them not liking it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and, and, but it was about four years between when I first finished like what I thought was a draft of Looking for Alaska and when it finally sold. And then it was another like two or three years and really extensive revisions before it was eventually published. As far as the advice I have for aspiring authors, and I actually think Hank's advice is better, but I'll give mine first. <laughs> um, I think it's really important to read. I, I think reading is this great apprenticeship that we have, whether you read with your eyes or you read with your ears by, by listening to audiobooks or however it is that, that you engage with story. It's a way we have of being able to learn how people throughout history have used words to create ideas that exist inside of other people's minds. And that's basically what stories are. And so if you read a lot, you start to see the mechanics of some of those stories and see stuff that you can steal. Uh, and, and that becomes very useful. Um, and then the other piece of advice that I always give, because I think it's super important, is that when I was a kid, I felt like writing books was something that like only a certain kind of person did, that like fancy, smart people did. And I never felt like I was one of those people. And it wasn't until I got a job at doing data entry at Booklist Magazine and I met Eileen, who was a, a published author, that I was like, oh, Eileen's just a regular person. And then being around the Booklist offices uh, for six years, every two weeks, Booklist magazine would come out and there would be 400 book reviews. There, every two weeks, Booklist publishes 400 book reviews, which means that like 400 books came out in those two weeks that were good enough to get reviewed in Booklist. And all those books were written by somebody. And seeing that 
you know, seeing all of those books come in helped me understand that, like, it's not like being an astronaut or a professional athlete, although if that is your dream, I wish you well in it. Like, writing is something that people do, that lots of people do. That's true. I don't remember what my advice is. Okay, great. I, what, what got me through the process was uh, falling in love with my characters and, like, like, needing to see their story through. And it wasn't so much about whether I was going to sell the book. I just wanted to know how the book ended. And, uh, and, and that meant that I was going to finish the book one way or the other. And I, at least I was going to know what the, how it ended up for them. And, and I think the fact that I, that I cared came through and makes it matter to the people who read it, um, I hope. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like, there has... You know, a lot of times, I remember when I was writing Looking for Alaska because I didn't know if it would ever be published or if it would ever reach an audience. I had to be able to say to myself, like, that's okay. I had to find a way. And even when I was writing Turtles all the way down, because I, you know, I, I, I felt, um, af I, I, I did often feel like I would probably never publish another book after The Fault in Our Stars came out. And, and so I had to be able to tell myself, like, this is okay if it never comes out. And it's okay um, if, if in the end you're not writing for an audience, but you're writing for yourself. Because there has to be like pleasure in the work, and there has, or at least meaning in the work. It has to feel meaning-filled. And I hear from a lot of young writers that they like write something for a while, they write 30 or 40 pages, and then they abandon it. That happens to me all oh, the yeah. time now. Yeah. still happens to me. Um, but I think that happens in part because like you're figuring it out and you're like figuring out like what parts of character and story are interesting to you and you will eventually um if you keep going take from all of those different stories in various sometimes small ways and um and they will have been uh useful to you so like to me abandoning something after 40 pages or whatever like doesn't represent like failure it just represents a step on the path um and that's how i try to tell myself uh, that it's okay that I keep abandoning stories and not finishing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, uh, I, 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 tend to, uh, I tend to think I have an idea, like two ideas for two books, and then I'm like, you know what would be better is if those were just one book. Yeah. To smash them together. It's like uh, last, last night when we were like, what about Gregorian chants, but kids bop? And... <laughs> So you can really... That would be a good book. You can, you, yeah, you got to you take... take it, it's like, what, a, what about, like, First Contact, but also famous on the internet? Boom. Uh, that, uh, but, yeah, that I mean, that, yeah, and that speaks to the fact that, like, Hank's books are much more high concept than mine. Like, there's, a, there's an idea... <laughs> Things happen. For lack of a better term, there's an idea to them. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's lots of ways to write there's stories, lots and there's lots yeah. of ways to connect with audiences. Why don't you ask a question? Why okay, you... John, I will ask a question. This next question comes from Matt It's Nyer. time for a million dollar idea. Another million dollar idea. This person had it on the internet. It was a million dollar idea. It's from Alex. This tweet got zero likes. Great. It's, it says, here's my million dollar idea. Post Malone post-it notes. There's little drawings of Posty in the corner, so when you flip the pages, it looks like he's dancing or something. That is probably a million-dollar idea. I think that if Post Malone got behind it, he could make a million dollars on Post Malone. I would buy that. 
I'm not even well, a Post Malone fan. I, let me say this. Post-it notes that are also some kind of cute, funny flip book okay, sure. is a million-dollar idea, That's, I think. It might actually be a lot of work now that I'm thinking about it. I, I don't know doable. how Post-it notes are made. I think it's doable. I'm going to just go to YouTube and look up Post-it notes, how, how post-it it's made. Notes made? I, think, I think it's totally a thing. I think that, do people call him Posty, or is this just Alex? Just Alex? Okay. You've got a lot of Post Malone fans in the audience. There seem to be a lot of people in the audience who are like, and who is Post Malone? <laughs> and to be fair, I, I, I just barely know. Yeah. No, I can picture his face, and that's just about it. Uh, he's a sunflower in, into the Spider-Verse. I yeah. know that. Just from the movie. Um, I, th- I think Post Malone needs a really good product. Oh yeah, because he I think seems, seems like he's having a. It's just it's too. He's not really making it. He seems to be suffering tremendously. Yeah, he really. Yeah. He yeah. needs to. He needs to be brought more into the public. Eye. Yeah, we should. DFTBA.com should call him up and be like, "Hey, po- you- post-it notes, but with Post Malone." Yeah, we got to cut in. Uh, what's his face? What's this guy's name? Alex. Alex. Yeah, got to make sure to cut in Alex. <laughs> All right, our next question comes from Matt Naya, who asks, Dear John and Hank, whenever I tell people, including my girlfriend, I prefer my cereal with water, they can't let it go. See, this is, this is the thing. Let me finish the question, uh, this is a re- This is going to get good. But honestly, it's only a mild preference, and I rarely eat cereal anyway. So my question is, how do you have a moderate opinion when the person you're talking to has chosen it as their hill to die on? (laughs) See? Yeah. See, the question started out, you're like, boo, and then the question ended, and you're like, oh. (laughs) Now you're thinking about your own self. Mm, This is a great point. There are certain things that we will not abide that clearly don't matter. For example, John and his weird cereal. Do you guys know? Have you heard? I, I drink my cere- I drink my cereal with water. It's not a big deal. You and- drink your cereal with oh, water. How ce- long I do eat- you I'm wait? Okay. <laughs> I eat my cereal with water. It's not a big deal. It is a. I. I. I wish I had never mentioned it. Um, <laughs> but this is such a great point about moderate opinions that are not like, you know, that you're not that passionate about, like. Nobody's allowed to walk into the internet and be like, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the Star Wars movie was pretty good. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't. I didn't think it was that big of a or, deal. Or even like, I didn't like that movie, but not like so much that I want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's uh, almost everything I don't like. I by almost definitionally don't want to discuss it because I don't like it. I don't want it well, in my head and like, still. And I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't dis, if there's something that you don't dislike enough that you're like, this is damaging to the social order. Right. Right? Like, there's a lot of bad uh, stuff in the world that's not like overly yeah, harmful. There are many worse things that we could maybe be talking about besides John's weird cereal. Yeah, and when you're done with this thing. cereal, do you drink the water like I do with the milk? No, that's gross. <laughs> mm. Doesn't that wouldn't make any sense? <laughs> Just like cocoa puffs flavored water. Yeah, that's a, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> okay, I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, Read but that. But yeah, let's. I mean, the next time you find yourself ready to die on whatever hill it is, ask yourself at Naya's beautiful question. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, by the way. Uh, 
How do you have a moderate opinion when the person you're talking to has chosen it as their hill to die on? Yeah, yeah you just... I feel like I, I need to have that tattooed yeah. on the inside of my wrist. <laughs> just glance at it every now and again and be like, oh, well, right. um, I don't agree, but it's not very important. I, I rescind. I abstain from yeah. this, this conversation. Yeah. Just, yeah. just abstain. You can have a card that says in beautiful calligraphy, I, I abstain. <laughs> Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by Moderate Opinions. Moderate opinions, extremely underappreciated. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, it depends on the moderate opinion. <laughs> Some of them I do strongly disagree with. <laughs> Today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by Slippery Brian. Slippery Brian, <laughs> the next hero of the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> This podcast is also brought to you by Tank Bottoms. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what they are that go on the bottom. And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by Cade's mom. Cade's mom, doing great. Doing so good. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Tara asks, Dear John and Hank, what's the dumbest way you've ever been injured? Um, I was at a Super Bowl party in St. Petersburg, Florida. Which, why? The Tampa Bay team won by a lot. So that's the year it was. It was the last time that happened. And, and I believe the only time. And I was playing football-ish. A game of ish football. And I ran for a catch. And I ran headfirst into uh, an orange tree. And then I had to have my eyebrows stitched back together. 
I uh, once, uh, my glasses were hit off my face during a game of pickup basketball uh, at our, our across the street neighbors. And then I had to like go into a bush to try to find them. And I got this huge long cut that went from like the inside of my knee all the way up to like my thigh. And it was really bad. I had to get several stitches. And then I was, I was, and I was in middle school and mm-hmm. I, was, I was very embarrassed and uncomfortable. And um, the, uh, the kids at school asked me how I hurt myself. And I didn't want to say like, oh, somebody smacked my glasses off me in a game of pickup basketball, and then I was trying to retrieve them in a bush and got stabbed by by a, tree, by a bush limb. So I said, um, oh, I was dunking a basketball. I remember this. And uh, I remember that lie. Yeah, I, I think like, for a while I believed that lie. Well, I mean, it was one of those basketball hoops that goes up and down. So like, I could dunk, but like how exactly the leg thing happened <laughs> was never totally clear, you yeah. know, in my story. And people would be like, okay, and? And I was like, and I dunked it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> John in high school, John, knowing about TED Talks before uh, anybody yeah, else. Before they existed. Lacey. Lacey. What is your question? Um, so over Thanksgiving... My roommate and I acquired a fish that belongs to my roommate's friend. Okay. Um, since Thanksgiving, I've been the one that watches him because I'm an in-state and they're out of state. So you're watching a fish? Yes, I'm watching which, a uh, fish. You also feed it, take care of it, I assume? Yes. And stare at it? A lot. The main, yeah. main response. A lot. A lot. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyways, he's just a little goldfish. Uh-huh. But we've become quite attached to him. Okay. Um... And neither of us want to give them back. It's not, it, yeah, it's somebody else's goldfish and you're real good close friends now. Yeah, how should we go about custody? How? <laughs> how, how, long, how old is the goldfish? I'd say probably about six months. Okay. So I, most of the goldfish's life was spent with the, the, the acquirer of the goldfish. The original owner. I would assume so. So here's what you got to do. Um, Lacey, I've got good news and bad news. Okay, you go first, because I've got an idea. (laughs) The good news is that you're going to be able to get a nearly identical (laughs) goldfish. No, 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 no. What is your idea? My my idea is, so it's a two-parter. I'll tell you the second part first. The person who owns the goldfish will come back and you'll say, we've gotten very attached and I think the goldfish wants to stay with me. And they will say, how do you know? And, I, and then you will say, well, you stand there and I'll stand here and we'll say, go to who you want to stay with. And then, and then the goldfish will swim to you. The first part is that you have to train the goldfish to swim to one side of the tank. See, see the issue is she hasn't brought the goldfish up. She hasn't, so she, she maybe hasn't doesn't want the goldfish. Anything. No. Oh, you should, then you should do the training, and then you should say, you should come to my room. I'm gonna, we're we're gonna have a custody battle. <laughs> Wait, so your friend has not mentioned the goldfish since giving it? No, she hasn't asked about him. Yeah, no, you have to bring it up because you don't want to be surprised one day when she just shows up and it's like, yeah, Goldie's like, coming with me, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> right, like in you five can't... years, it's only gonna be worse. You gotta close yeah. the loop somehow. You gotta do it now. You gotta, you gotta do it now. Uh, All right. I think that I've solved this problem in the most sinister way possible. (laughs) Thank you, Lacey. Dan, Dan, are you here? Dan, what's your question? Hey, uh, I wanted to know how to run for the mayor of my municipality. Oh, is it Atlanta? Uh, No, actually, it's... A little bit further east. Great. That's going to well, be easier. It's going to that's, that's my guess. Dramatically increases your chances. Yes. Thank you. 
Uh, it's going to be very difficult to run for mayor of a large city, and it's going to be easier. Uh, and then and it gets easier the smaller the city gets, and then the easiest is if it's just you. Yeah. <laughs> now, there are some cities in Montana where everyone is like, boy, that mayor is not good. And then everyone's like, would, would you do it? Would you? <laughs> yeah. Do you want it? No? Okay, well, I guess we'll stick with Jeff. <laughs> um, but at least we can always find him at the bar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good old, good old Jeff. Uh, so yeah, I there. I, I encourage you to run for mayor in your town. I don't know who the current mayor is. I don't know what the situation is. But you, the, like getting into politics at the local level is is a very rewarding thing, and it is very accessible. I think to some sometimes we feel like it's not accessible. Um, you might want to dip your toe in the city council first to see what a mess it might be. Well, but but even before that, I think to, you start. I think I would start going to city council yeah. meetings. I would start like participating in mm -hmm. uh, if you are affiliated with a political party or if it's a if it's a uh, you know some cities have uh, political party. Right. Elections and some, some don't. don't. Not yeah. nonpartisan. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and uh, so I would like, if you're a member of a political party, I would get involved. I would canvass for other. I mean, this is just yeah. based on having known um, my friend Daniel Biss, who started out as a mathematician and became a very successful politician. Uh, so he, he started out by canvassing and by going to meetings and by talking with people and by saying, I want to be in a leadership position in my community. What do I need to do? And, uh, and I think that's the way. Yeah. A lot gets done at meetings in public life, which is one of the reasons why um, I admire your willingness to do it and I myself uh, will just be voting for you. <laughs> I don't know that you live in that particular municipality. Not yet. But once Dan's the mayor, I'm moving. <laughs> Dan, thank you for your question. Also, thank you for your work. My company uses your company's services. I Googled you. Uh, and finally, we have Peyton. Hello, Peyton. What is your question for a last question of this evening's dear Hank and John? Okay. A few years ago, I got really into some YouTubers and made a Stan account to reply to their tweets without annoying my real-life friends on my actual Twitter. Okay. That's when I met my best friend, who's here with me on this tour. Um, Wait, does your best friend have a Twitter account called Phil's Thick Booty? She does! <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so... I think we can just leave. I think it's never been... It's not <laughs> getting the, better. That's the peak. That's okay, the peak. Okay, so, you, so you and your friend... So you and your friend... So you met... This is how you met? Yes, on okay. Stan Twitter. And we're both 24, so that's kind of embarrassing. Right. <laughs> so Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I wouldn't tell a whole room full of people yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, thank you for making me do <laughs> I this. I mean, this room is safer than most. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we've moved closer together now. We used to be, I was in Kansas, she was in Atlanta. Um, but now we live in Alabama, my husband and I. So now we meet up in person pretty much all the time. Oh, that's great. So... People in my real life want to know how I met her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure what to tell them because how do I lie? My initial thought was, we met at work, but we've yeah. never even lived in the same state. And I'm a nanny and she's not three. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, so I'm not really sure what to do when people how, So people are like, how did you meet your good friend, Emily slash... And, and you're like, I don't know at what to, we met on the internet. You could say that. Yes. And then they're like, well, how'd you meet on the internet? Yeah. And you're like, mm, Stan Twitter. <laughs> uh, 
You can do that. Like, it's not like uh, liking Dan and Phil is a shameful thing. They're amazing. No, Thank I you. would say, I, I wouldn't put it that way. Because I think if you say Stan Twitter, you're going to get yeah. a lot of blank looks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who is Stan? I, I would say... <laughs> Who's Stan? <laughs> I would say we met because we were both part of the fan community of a YouTuber. Yeah. Or we were both part of a fan community. And if then, then if they get specific, you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, Emily and I, we like a lot of... Um, uh, YouTubers, Phil, Dan, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you can totally lie. Like yeah. saying, I met at, we met at work, it does eliminate the questions, but you could build a whole backstory and be like, we just by, happened to be both visiting Washington, D.C. at the same time, and there was a freak windstorm, and the, a tree blew over, and we both got stuck under the tree, and we were there <laughs> we were for three hours the under a tree, yeah. Yeah. and we had, to, we had to talk about something, so yeah. we talked about life and love and our parents and all the difficulties we've had, and we were just stuck under the tree waiting for the D.C. We fire we department. We thought we were going to die. Yeah. You know, we, we were became Others' hands, yeah. weeping. <laughs> Have you seen 127 hours? It was like that. <laughs> it was terrible. We didn't know how we were going to make it through, and yeah. then finally the Forest Service came and chains, yeah, sure, the Forest Service chainsawed the tree and freed us, and we were holding each other and crying, and we said, "I think we're friends." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can use that if you want it. Freak DC windstorm. Yeah. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, and they, yeah, they met dunking a basketball. It was an audience <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> we were both up there. And then both basketballs yeah. went in at the same time. Yeah. Then our I mean, legs collided. Yeah. People would be like, and what is the relevance of that to the story? And you'd be like, I, I dunked the basketball. <laughs> both hands. I, I dunked and I'm five foot one. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, John. Peyton, that thank is you, a beautiful Peyton. story. Congratulations on your wonderful friendship. And uh, thank you very much for your question. And thank you, everyone in the room. Thank oh you for this gosh. wonderful what a, evening. What a joy it has been uh, to be with you here today. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, and thank you for letting our work have a seat at the table in your lives. And uh, we hope that you have had a, a wonderful time and that you will be able to go forth uh, into the world and do wonderful things um, with great people. Thank you. Thank you. John, this podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hall, Rojas, and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Paolo Garcia Prieto. And the music you're hearing now at the beginning of the podcast by the great Gutterola. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome. Thank you all so much. Thank you.